Today, at the beginning of this new year, we begin a new sermon series called Making Space for God. The scripture lesson comes from the book of Exodus, and it captures a scene in the life of Moses. For Moses, this is a day that begins as an ordinary day, but suddenly becomes an extraordinary moment. So listen for the reaction of Moses. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. May God bless this reading to our understanding. The wrapping paper is wadded into balls and placed in a plastic trash bag by the back door. The Christmas tree rots on the curb, providing temporary shelter for the birds. The cookie tins, have you noticed? They're empty except for a few crumbs in the bottom, stale crumbs. And the nativity scene has been carefully wrapped back up into tissue paper and placed in the attic. Now what? During January, some make New Year's resolutions, a new you, a new year. This January sermon series is entitled Making Space for God. As we begin a new year, as we subconsciously or specifically realign our priorities, what does it mean to make space for God? Today's Bible story describes an ordinary day in the life of an average shepherd. Now, you might think of Moses as the giver of the Ten Commandments on the mountain or the one who parted the Red Sea and led the people out of bondage and slavery. But you have the benefit of hindsight. Moses doesn't know any of that at this moment that we read about today. Moses is just an ordinary guy, and actually, he's not even looking for God. You couldn't even say that he was trying to make space for God in his life. Instead, Moses has one goal, to keep his head down and to stay out of trouble, to avoid notice, because he's already been in trouble back in Egypt when he spoke up for justice. Now he's a known fugitive. He can't even get near Egypt, so he's as far as he can out in the outskirts, in the wasteland, near the mountain, just trying to make a buck to support his family, working not in his own business, but in his father-in-law's business as a sheep herder. Now, his father-in-law is a religious man. He's a priest, but not Moses. He's an ordinary guy. He's not even in the synagogue. He's not at Bible study. He's not in a small group. He's not gathering at worship. He is not on a spiritual quest at all. 
just trying to keep his nose to the ground and stay out of trouble. And out of the blue, out of the corner of his eye, Moses sees something, a flash perhaps. Maybe he was looking out on the horizon counting the sheep when he noticed where used to be a thorn bush is a bright light, a flash. And he says, I must turn aside to see and look at this great sight. And there it is, a bush on fire. And even though it's burning brightly, blazing, its leaves are not singed. And then God saw something out of the corner of God's eye, a flash perhaps over there. Maybe God was looking out at the ocean currents. Maybe God was surveying how the redwood forest was coming along when all of a sudden God noticed a movement where there had only been a shepherd before. God saw that Moses looked. God saw that one of God's own humble creations, an ordinary shepherd, had noticed God's miraculous fiery shrub. And God did not take a chance that Moses would simply blink and move on. Instead, God used this moment of Moses noticing to say, Moses, Moses. So here on an ordinary day when Moses is not really on a spiritual quest, Moses and God have a holy encounter and what I love most about this encounter is that God does not begin to speak until Moses first notices. Could it be, I mean, do you suppose that dozens of other shepherds in the last week or the last month or the last century had passed by that burning bush and not turned aside to see? But Moses notices, and then Something holy transpires, an energy between God and Moses, a real conversation, a give and take. The ordinary day has become an extraordinary moment simply because Moses looked. I love that line from the movie, The Color Purple. It's been remade recently into a musical. Maybe you've seen it. They've modified some of the lines, but I think this line is still in there. It's when Seely says, I think it ticks God off when we don't notice the color purple. That's the G-rated version of the quote. You might remember what it really says. But the point is that God notices when we notice and when we don't. God is influenced by us. God can tell when you and I have our breath taken away by the beauty of the world. God sees us in awe and reverence when we notice something and then God speaks. Maybe what God wants for you and me in this new year is not for us to add on something, but simply to notice. Last week, I was setting the dinner table for my house at a party for a party that I was having, and I picked I picked up the phone and it was my sister calling. What are you doing? She said. Well, I, it's not going very well. I said I'm trying to set the table, but the centerpiece isn't working. I don't know which dishes to use. Should I use this table runner? She could tell that I was not in a good mood, and she's a good sister. And so she said, Facetime me. We'll do this together. She helped me. She's got a good eye. And then she groaned. And I said, what? And she said, I never set the table anymore. 
my dining room table, she said. It, it's now my desk, it's my office, and my kids, they won't even eat with me at the dinner table, they wanna eat on the sofa. And suddenly when she said that, I recalled hundreds of dinners that my sister and I had assisted my mom with in our growing up years, in our young adult years, setting the table, working in the kitchen with mom, there was this easy, delightful synergy of us being together, preparing for a party. And so after my sister and I chatted and I hung up the phone, I sat down in the corner of the dining room and I looked. And I saw the silverware and the glassware and the plates and the placemats and I realized that I was not looking at a table. I was looking at an altar where people would share bread and wine and the substance of their lives. Why is it that we so often fail to truly see? The story of God and Moses uses the word see nine times in just these few verses. God observes, Moses looks, I must see why the bush is not burning up, paying attention to what is all around us already every day in the ordinary, it matters. Christian Wyman is a favorite poet of mine. I think poets help us to notice what's right before us that we don't often see. Christian Wyman grew up in an evangelical church in West Texas, and as an adult, he abandoned the Christian faith altogether. He says that what brought him back to an inkling of faith was when he fell in love with his wife, Danielle. They were both poets, but they used to sit down at the dinner table to together and pray. They had only been married a few months when Christian Wyman was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer and the doctor said he might have five years to live. But that was 18 years ago. And since then, he has been through many near-death experiences. He has been through experimental treatment after experimental treatment. Even the doctors say it's a miracle that he's still alive. And during this journey, that little inkling of love between him and his wife has become a more developed Christian faith. In fact, he now teaches literature and religion at Yale Divinity School. Recently, Christian Wyman was on public radio about a new book that he has written, a book that he never thought he would actually live to see published. And he says that death is not the worst despair that a person faces. The worst despair that a person faces is meaninglessness. At the beginning of this new year, we all want to know that our lives have meaning. And many of us seek new paths for that meaning. We turn aside to notice where God's beauty and grace and glory is already unfolding all around us in simple things like tablescapes and children playing and snow falling out the window and sitting down to meet with a friend for a cup of coffee at the neighborhood coffee shop. But even after Moses looks, I find this so fascinating. Even after Moses has the audacity to look and God speaks to him and says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Even then, we are told Moses is afraid to look. He hides his face. He's afraid to look at God. 
And here's what I think is happening. Moses has a hunch. He has a hunch that this dialogue with God might change his life. Anne Lamont says, grace means that God meets us where we are, but does not leave us where God found us. And I think that's what Moses experienced. God is here with me, but will not leave me here. And Moses senses that by looking at God, Moses will begin to see what God sees. And God observes the misery of God's people. They are being treated unfairly, unjustly, and God is on a recruitment mission. This holy ground is earth-shattering ground because Moses' life is about to change. And Moses didn't even wake up that morning thinking, hmm, I think I'll set some new intentions or New Year's resolutions. No wonder Moses is afraid to look. Last summer, I spent two weeks in Tanzania volunteering with some of the church projects in social service agencies, working among the poorest of the poor in Tanzania. My first assignment that they sent me to was to an orphanage of about 65 kids located at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro. I arrived very late at night. It was so dark, but I was somewhat stunned by the primitive nature of this place. When I woke up the next morning and I saw it in the sunlight, I was even more appalled at the primitive, basic nature of this orphanage. It, it defied anything that I had imagined. Because I had arrived there after 40 hours of travel without any luggage, I was going to have to go to the store and get a few things together so that I could be in church the next day. So they put me in the car and drove me some distance away till we found a little village, really just a little stand that was selling things. And my Swahili is basically zero. And so I just gave them my money and I said, could you get me some things to wear to church and a toothbrush? And by the way, we've driven all this way. Maybe you could get some things that you need for the kids in the orphanage. I thought, you know, maybe they need books. I hadn't seen any books there. There weren't any toys, just homemade things they played with in the driveway. And maybe they needed some clothes. You could tell that the children were all wearing raggedy clothes. And so I waited outside for them to come out with these items. And instead, they came out carrying various large bags, 20-pound bags of rice and cooking oil and protein. And I realized that their number one concern was that the children have enough to eat. And I thought, what am I doing here as the consultant? I was going to teach them to, you know, build a board and have a better newsletter and do better at fundraising, but they were focused on the children having enough to eat and the six children there with, who were HIV positive getting access to the medicines that would keep them alive. We went back with the supplies, and the next day after church, I looked up and saw Mama. Mama was the founder of the orphanage. She literally built the orphanage by hauling rocks up the hill with her bare hands and laying the foundation for the orphanage. The children began by sleeping on the floor in her home, and now Mama had built a boy's dorm and a girl's dorm, but Mama is old, and she can barely walk now. And I looked out, and there she was outside her home, sitting 
beneath a tree with this mound of stuff next to her. And I went out and sat down with Mama, and I said, what's going on here? And she said, oh, one of the neighbors that lives up the road a ways brought us this corn for, for the children in the orphanage. And as I sat down to shuck corn with Mama, I realized this is holy ground. These people who have nothing will care for these orphans. And I cannot unsee what I have seen. I marveled at how this community cared for their children. And I had the joy that night of watching them boil all that corn in this huge vat of water over an open flame. And then I got to help serve it to the children. And if you could see the looks in their eyes, you would be sure that I had just given them a cherry-flavored popsicle, not a little piece of fresh boiled corn. Sometimes God shows up when you and I are not even looking, and we have good reason to be afraid to look. <laughs>